When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to what may be termed an emergency edition of Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Maurice and Bill Landis, and this is going to be about the Ohio State basketball team in the wake of the Jaquan Lyle transfer, um, in the wake of them maybe not having enough players to practice fully next year. Uh, Bill and I are going to talk about what has happened with the team, but we're also going to get into what next season might be like, um, because... That's what matters. That nothing's going to change now. And we can talk about that for a second, too. But, like, Fadmon is not going anywhere in May. So everyone who was outraged and, like, going crazy again right when this stuff happened, like, the season's going to play out. I don't know what to tell you. So let's talk about how the season's going to play out. So, Bill, how you doing? I'm great. It's weird being on the phone, but uh, it'll suffice for now. Uh, it's also weird not having Ari here talking about food. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, okay, so I think by now most people listening to this know the basis basics of what happened. Uh, Jaquan Lyle was uh, had an incident in his hometown in Evansville, Indiana, where he was um, out and was uh, you know whatever. I don't know. I guess he punched the hood of a police car and um, had some things come up with that. And the the resulting part of that, you know, stuff happens. People in their 20s do things. It wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't great. It wasn't the end of the world. But Ohio State then revealed in the aftermath of that that this guy had quit the team a month ago. Basically, would have been it would have been their second leading returning scorer. No, would have been their lead, yeah second leading returning scorer. Second leading, yeah. Behind Jay Sean Tate. And now he's gone. So just to recap this, Bill, how is it that He's been gone for a month, and it came out this way, do you think? I, I don't really know. It's strange. I, I, I think like maybe the, the most obvious answer to that would be that possibly they were hoping that it would play out in a situation that he would maybe come back. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that, that's the only way that it would make sense to me is if maybe he said he was leaving or they agreed that he should leave, and then, but we're holding out hope that he returned to the team um, in time for next season. Outside of that, I don't really know how you lose your starting point guard, uh, a guy who's got a pretty high profile, at least in this program, um, and he's off the team for a month, and nobody know about it. Um, it's, it's kind of strange. I don't. I can't think of another instance in which this has happened before with Ohio State or otherwise. So it was weird. It was weird that that was kept under wraps, um, and I'm not 100% sure why, but trying to get to the bottom of it, we can't really uh, figure it out. I do think that probably makes sense, that, that it wasn't just cut and dried. 
hey, he's gone, that maybe things are being worked on. They aren't saying really anything. I mean, there is an indication that it's not that that he necessarily left the team uh, and that they were just left high and dry, that, that there was some, at least, the team had something to do with him leaving. It wasn't like he just said, I'm out of here, and, and the Buckeyes said, wait, what are you doing? Don't leave us. There was, I think, more to it than that. It wasn't just this guy took off. So so he's gone. So that's 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 that. Um, let's get right to what I think is the most interesting thing on the court, and then we can double back on what all this means for Thad Mata, because we've sort of been over the Thad Mata stuff. Can they compete with nine scholarship players next year? Can they be a team that plays in the top half of the Big Ten and makes the NCAA tournament with the roster as currently constituted? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I did a, um, I did a like way too early Big Ten uh, projections, uh, like right around the time of the Final Four, I think. Um, and I had Ohio State, I believe I had the ninth or 10th, and that was like assuming that everyone you thought would be back would be back. Maybe you thought Trevor Thompson was done and was just going to go pro, but even with that, you know, I had Lyle still on the team, which is an important piece. But even with that, because the Big Ten had a lot of players back, um, had a lot of really talented teams, uh, it was going to be tough for Ohio State to compete anyway. And now with nine scholarship players, it's not even the question so much of talent for me, although obviously that's important. It's a question of like durability. We saw last year when they were short on bodies, how they kind of wore down a lot in the games and, and lost games maybe late that they could have won had they been, I don't know, better conditions the word, but, but at least had the bodies to make sure that they were in playing shape at the end of close games and they weren't. So now you're talking about you have nine players, you have some real shortages at, at specific positions, and you have to go play in what's probably the deepest league in the country next year or try to find a way to finish. Like Even in the top half of the league mm-hmm. at this point, I feel like would be considered a success. So it's going to be really tough for them with, with the roster and the current shape it is now. Um, and even if they add somebody, like they're not adding D'Angelo Russell to the roster. They're going to add a, a complimentary piece that, that could provide some depth, but I don't think they're adding a superstar. So the roster is what it is, and they're in a tough league. So this is not a good position for them. All right, so I'm just, I just wrote it down. I was impressed with myself. I actually did get all nine scholarship players that are back written <laughs> down on my pad here. Um, what's your starting lineup for next year as it stands? I'd probably go uh, C.J. Jackson at point guard. And then I'd go, uh, well, let me go to one. C.J. Jackson will start. Kata Bates, the up will start. Jay Sean Tate will start. So that's three. And then I guess Cam Williams would start, but I wouldn't start him. But he did start last year. So I'll say C.J. Jackson, Cam Williams at guard. Kata Bates, the up, and Jay Sean Tate at forward. And uh, uh, Caleb Wesson at center, although... Michael Potter probably just as likely to start because he's a sophomore and Caleb Wesson's a freshman. So I'll say Jackson, Williams, Tate, Bates D up, and Wesson. Can they play Potter and Caleb Wesson together? Yeah, I think ideally that's what Michael Potter would want. Um, he was pretty um, forthcoming last year. He said, no, I, I don't really consider myself a center. I consider myself more of a stretch forward. And I thought that was obvious in the way that he played. Um, especially defensively. I think he struggled against some more traditional centers. He's not a back-to-the-basket player. He's more of a jump shooter. Um, and he's a pretty good one for his size, too. So, yeah, I think they could play together. He might have a little bit of a problem defensively, 
offensive skill Wesson, Caleb Wesson and Michael Potter can play together. And then Andre Wesson's going to have a big role, right? I mean, he's a guy who played a decent amount, especially the second half of his freshman year, a good defender. He would be a, he would be an important part of that rotation, obviously, right? Yeah, and he could he could honestly start. It, it just depends. Like we've seen it before where they just throw out three sort of interchangeable guards and call one a shooting guard, even though one's not actually a shooting guard. So you could see a, a scenario where it's, it's Tate and Bates Diop and Andre Wesson starting at the, the – Two, three, four spots. Um, Wesson needs to be, but be- Andre Wesson needs to be better. It's confusing now having two Wesson brothers on the team. Andre Wesson needs to be better offensively. Um, he was a good three point shooter in high school and, and shot it well toward the end of last season and actually hit some pretty big shots for them. And I was frankly surprised with his confidence in taking some of the shots that he took. So if he's going to be that guy, if he's going to be a guy who's not afraid to take a big shot and, and make it while also being maybe their best perimeter defender, um, yeah, he's going to have a role for sure, and he could be starting. So, so let's let's imagine this. Then I don't like Cam Williams starting either. So I'm gonna I'm gonna yield to you. I'm taking him out of the starting lineup, and I'm making him the sixth man. So let's okay. let's say that the starting lineup is C.J. Jackson, Jay Sean Tate, Kata Bates Diop, Andre Wesson, and Caleb Wesson. Then. Cam Williams is your first guard off the bench. Micah Potter is your first big man off the bench. Braxton Beverly, the freshman, is your backup point guard, I guess, right? Yeah. And then Derek Funderburk, who redshirted last year as a freshman, but certainly has some really good potential to be a dynamic player, is your other bench guy. And I think it's possible – well, I mean, they need him to be. They need Derek Funderburk to come in and, after not playing next, next year, be a dynamic presence, I think, and make an impact on the court, even if it's for 15 minutes a game, right? Is that not too much to expect? You should expect that, yeah, and they need it. I mean, you're talking about a situation where if Funderburk is not ready after redshirting and Braxton Beverly is not quite ready because he's a five foot ten point guard who was once a Mac commit, like, you have six guys, <laughs> six, to play through an entire Big Ten season, and they have a really tough schedule this year. So, yeah, you need... Braxton Beverly to be better than probably people expected he would have to be, and Derek Funderburg like needs to jump right in and and be like a quasi six man along with Michael Potter. Otherwise, they're a real real tough spot. Do you think Cam Williams will end up being back? He, there's still a question about his status. He put his name in for the NBA draft. I guess Thad had said told someone, "Oh, he's back," but Cam Williams sort of disputed that that it wasn't decided yet. Do you think he's back? Yeah, I, I'm only because that makes the most sense, which obviously doesn't really mean much in this situation, clearly. But he, he's not a professional basketball player, and he has already redshirted, so I don't like he's out of eligibility. He's not like he wouldn't get a medical redshirt. He has to play college basketball this year. Or he's not playing college basketball again. Um, so yeah, I think he'll be back. Okay, so so now let me. And maybe I'm too Pollyanna about the basketball team sometimes. That nine is not awful. Like, if Caleb Wesson can come in and be a guy you can rely on as a freshman, if Kata Bates-Diop, who I think people, you have said many times, you think he has the most NBA talent on this roster. They missed him a lot last year when he was hurt. If he comes back healthy and is the best of what he can be. If Jayshon Tate is himself, if Andre Weston can score more, if Thunderbird can give you anything, if Micah Potter sort of gets a little, 
you know, he wore down a little bit, which is completely normal for a freshman big man. But if he's more a little more ready for a whole season, I that seems like there are some pieces. There is some talent. It's young talent. Is there not maybe the chance of something with that group? Like on the, I, I'm not disputing you having them ninth or tenth, even with Lyle in a in a good 14 team league. But is there not some upside there? Yeah, I think there is. I think there there are two major questions in my mind um, in terms of that lineup having upside, and one is. Can C.J. Jackson be a 35-minute-per-game point guard in the Big Ten when he is six foot one and weighs like 170 pounds or whatever he weighs? He's not. He's he's not. He's not short, but he's very thin, and it's a physical league. And I don't know on a nightly basis if he can be trusted to run the show, but also guard some of the point guards he'd have to guard in the Big Ten. I thought he struggled with that uh, points last year. So that's question number one, and then question number two is. How good is Kade Bates Diop going to be? If he's going to be a star, like he was a top thirty national recruit, if he was going, if he's, I mean, he's been like on Draft Express's NBA draft list for some reason for the last three years of like a guy who is a potential, you know, top sixty or seventy NBA prospect if he ever got healthy. If he's that guy, if he's the guy you know you can give the ball to, who's going to be a shooter, who's a long defender, who's going to get to the rim and be aggressive, which has been a problem for him. Like if he is a star then I think you have something. Otherwise, you just sort of have a bunch of role guys who, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know if a bunch of role guys can get anything done in this Big Ten. Okay, so so a lot of times last year, this team talked about um, a lack of focus, a lack of uh, toughness, maybe a lack of preparation sometimes, and... It's one of those things Thad Mata would talk about it vaguely. Guys like Jay Sean Tate would talk about it vaguely. And I understand they're not going to call out people by name. But you and I talked about it. If, I mean, anybody could see it. The three people that on the team last year that you would have said uh, those words applied to, a lack of blank, the lack of being ready to be a good player all the time. That would mostly apply from our eyes and you watched them every game, to Mark Loving, Jaquan Lyle, and Trevor Thompson. Is that correct? That is correct. Mark Loving has graduated, Trevor Thompson has left for the pros, and Jaquan Lyle is no longer on the team. All three of them are gone. They would be a better team with Jaquan Lyle. We're not going to sit here and spin this as addition by subtraction. This is not what they wanted. This is not, they don't have the, enough talent to make up for losing a guy like Jaquan Lyle, who is a guy who can make shots at the end of a game, although he can also make big mistakes at the end of a game. Very inconsistent, can give you 20 one night and two the next. But this team is going to have nights where they sure could have used that 20. However, how could this team maybe be better because the three guys that you would have thought those questions about focus, preparation, toughness, most applied to, those three guys are gone. Well, they could be less mistake-prone, which is huge because there were definitely games they lost last year because they just like sort of made bonehead plays in the last three to four minutes of the game. And usually the main culprits in that were Jaquan Lyle and Mark Loving. I'm looking at stats right now. I put them up to have them in front of me while we were having this discussion. And I'm looking at some of the advanced stats on um, the college basketball 
of sports reference, <laughs> and Mark Loving was third on the team in turnover percentage, which means he turned it over third most uh, on the team. And the two guys ahead of him were Joey Lane, who's a walk-on and played in four games, and Andre Wesson, who had some turnover struggles um, at the beginning of the season and sort of corrected them at the end. But Mark Loving, your senior, was like the third worst offender in terms of, or second worst offender to take Lane out in terms of turning the ball over last year. And he had the stat that I, I like to pull out, games in which he had uh, more turnovers than field goals made, and I don't know what's the top of my head, but it was at least a dozen, which is like unthinkable for a senior to have those kind of games in his final season, and like a year where the program could use a turnaround, and your, your senior, who's supposed to be your best player, is giving the ball away more often than he's making shots. Um, and that's not to bag on Mark Loving a whole lot, but he's gone, so I feel like I can do that now. He was a real problem for them, and Jaquan Lyle had a little bit of that in him, too, in terms of just being careless with the ball. Um, Trevor Thompson took questionable shots, I thought. He took plays off on defense. So if you have guys who aren't doing that, you obviously have an opportunity to be better. Um, and it's not even a matter of skill. It's just like being focused for 40 minutes, which is something you probably shouldn't have to ask for a whole lot. But Thad Mata really seemed to struggle to get that out of his team on a daily basis, and it was because of those guys, I think. It's um, the thing I say before, like I've said before, and I might have said it on here. It's like, how much can guys like actually bring down the team as a collective? Um, and I think that happened. I think that happened. I think it was evident that that happened with, with some guys. And that's not to excuse things because they were recruited by the head coach, and they were coached by the coaching staff, and they weren't coached well enough, and maybe they didn't recruit the right guys. But it's a fact of the matter now that it seems like that element of the roster is now gone. And that's a good thing. And now the other side of that, again, to be fair, is that I would say probably when you look at last year's roster, the four guys I would say that have the most basketball talent, the most upside, the greatest ability for stretches to take over a game or really be uh, dominant Big Ten players for stretches, the main four guys would be Keita Bates-Diop, who was hurt last year, and those three guys. So now you're also missing that. And we did see Mark Loving at times take games over, keep them in games. We did see Jaquan Lyle go nuts a couple games. We did see stretches where Trevor Thompson looked like a, you know, for four minutes, looked like an unstoppable Big Ten postman. So um, I think they're going to have fewer bonehead plays, fewer lapses, fewer of those frustrating moments that I think drive Thad Mata nuts and drive the fans nuts. But they're also going to have fewer times where they're going to be rescued by guys just making shots or making plays on their own. It feels like this is going to have to be a team that's going to have to play together on the defensive end, but also play together on the offensive end and get shots for each other. Because I don't know who on this roster is going to get a shot on his own. Yeah, Lyle was the only guy on the roster who could really create his own shot last year, and so you lose that. And then the other thing you lose with Trevor Thompson is like any sort of rim-protecting presence. Um, Caleb Weston's not really a shot blocker. Michael Potter's definitely not a shot blocker. Derek Funderburk, maybe. And him and Kata Bates, they both have like seven-foot wingspans and, and are a little more bouncy. But neither of them, I think, are traditional post defenders in the way that Thompson was. So you lose rim protection and you lose the one guy you had who could beat somebody off the dribble. And those are that's like those are two like major things that you would like to have on your roster. Yeah, you're get, they're going to have to get up on people defensively, I think, and be aggressive and then play great help defense when guys get beat because there's not going to be someone back there, like you said, protecting the rim. But they can't afford to just slack off and play some kind of zone or, or not be aggressive. They're going to have to 
pressure people defensively, but again, that's going to be harder to do with a shorter bench. You know that they're going to they're not going to be able to take plays off on the defensive end and save themselves because they're not going to have enough offensive skill to try to win by outscoring people. Um, and so they're going to have to win with defense, but they're going to have to win with defense with with a short bench. So it's I don't think it's impossible. I think there are parts of it that could be, for lack of a better word, better um, because of some of these team oriented focus issues. But but there's they lost some talent too. Um, part of this and and what I wrote when this happened is losing the off season. That you know. I, I, I never thought that what happened on the court the last two years was enough for Thad Model to lose his job, not with what he had done on the court his first decade here in Columbus. But these last two off-seasons have been bad now, and part of that is recruiting as well. Um, they had a big Ohio kid decommit this off-season. There's another, uh, is it Jeremiah Francis? Is that his name? Yeah, he's 2019. Okay, um, but he's like but another yeah. kid, right, that is on the on the horizon that there are other Big Ten teams in on. Um, if if Thad Mata would try to point to that, would try to say, listen, this is the down part, but look, look what we're doing, look what's coming, look what we have, look how we're going about things and building this roster and recruiting, would he have a point to make there or are there issues there as well? He had a point about a month ago, and then Darius Baisley, who was a 2018 wing, uh, decommitted, and then in an interview with Adam Jardy of the Columbus Dispatch, like, trashed Ohio State's team performance and recruiting um, pretty thoroughly, um, saying that he wasn't sure if Ohio State had the roster to get back into the tournament, was completely confident in the players they were recruiting. A part of that is just something kids say, and he was a teenager being honest uh, with a reporter. So um, maybe he was a little too harsh because I do think that the commits they have for 2018, uh, right now they have two. They have Dane Goodwin, shooting guard from Upper Arlington, and they have Justin Aarons, um, a small forward from, I think Ohio would pronounce it, Versailles instead of Versailles. Um, those are two pretty nice pieces. I, I wouldn't consider that, that duo to sort of be a, a – two pieces who are going to help turn the program around completely. I think they need a, more of a stud in that recruiting class. Um, and there are a couple of guys they're looking at, uh, a couple guards. Dwayne Cohill is a guard from Holy Holy Name uh, up in Northeast Ohio who they really need to have because, as we discussed, they don't have any guards on the roster really, so they need to add a guard just to have the depth. But then also you just need a guy who you can point to and say, like, not all is lost. We got this top 50-whatever recruit, which Darius Baisley uh, was going to be had he stuck with Ohio State, and now it seems like he's not coming. Um, Goodwin and Justin Irons aren't quite that. Um, Caleb Wesson, who I think is very good, is in the 2017 class, is not quite that. Braxton Beverly's not that. Um, so it's, it's, you're, gonna, you're talking possibly going through a couple classes now where you're not really getting that kind of blue-chip recruit um, that I think would maybe back the dogs off a little bit in terms of people being critical of Thad Mata's uh, recruiting and job performance so far in coaching the team. And we know so much of what, what happens is not just what you are, but what you are perceived to be. Perception is reality, especially in recruiting. And so if you have a kid who's one of the two best players in Ohio decommitting and then pointing out what are, to many people, obvious issues in the team, how do they pull out of this? Like, uh, 
you know, like what what is it that is going to make the best players in Ohio, which is the focus they are now, they now have in recruiting, what they should have in recruiting. I don't know that anybody thinks that Ohio State at the moment is going to go out and win a recruiting battle for a kid from New Jersey or Virginia or Georgia or California or anywhere else outside of Ohio and the connecting states. Um, but they are in a downward spiral on the court and off. Can they get past that or does it is this does this feel like to you that at least when it comes to recruiting and getting kids to want to come here, is it almost past the point of no return where there's too much that's gone wrong and and they they just aren't going to be able to turn it around in recruiting? I think it's pretty close to the point of no return. I wouldn't say it's quite there yet. The thing that's interesting that I just thought of as you were saying that is, you know, two years ago I was at an AAU event in Indianapolis um, on the Nike circuit and I was talking to a bunch of players about Ohio State and like the thing that they said is you know they had D'Angelo Russell they let him play they helped develop him into an NBA guard and he was number two overall pick in the draft now obviously D'Angelo Russell is a five star who came in like basically ready made and Ohio State did have a little bit of a hand in helping him develop and letting him play but it was a lot of what Russell already had sort of inherently in himself when he came in but the perception was that Ohio State was developing NBA players still, and in two years, that's changed. Um, I don't think recruits view Ohio State as a program right now who can develop them to be the kind of player they want to be at the college level and then get to get to the next level. So I think if there's one thing that recruits are looking at, aside from just obviously increasing the win, or the win number and decreasing the losses from last year, maybe getting back to the NCAA tournament, is are the players in the program getting better? And if... The argument is that, you know, guys who left like Thompson and Loving and Lyle were talented, but maybe didn't want to quite put the work in that would make them better. I think that's kind of a cop-out, but I think there's a little bit of truth to that, too. So now if you have a roster that that amount of says of guys who are all bought in and are willing to listen to coaching and sort of are, are, are in with, with the, um, the system that that model wants to coach and are willing to be developed, then they have to show it, like, C.J. Jackson has to be a better basketball player next year. K.D. Bates-Dayup has to be better. Jason Chate has to be better. If those guys are tangibly better than they have been at previous points in their Ohio State career, then I think there's something to salvage on the recruiting trail because, again, Thad Mata would be able to sell the fact that they can still develop basketball players, which is something they haven't been able to sell really for two years. How do you think, and and I think, you know, this is, we've gone over this many times. They got in, Ohio State got in trouble a little bit in recruiting by trying to go up against Kansas and Duke and Kentucky and UCLA and that kind of thing and losing guys there and then not being on guys in their own backyard. But really now, they have to be recruiting against Big Ten teams. They, they are not going head-to-head with Duke. The reason Ohio State is in trouble is not because Luke Kennard went to Duke. Okay, He was a really good player from Ohio. That guy's going to be a first-round NBA draft pick. He was one of Duke's best players. You're going to lose guys like that. That's just reality. He's from Cincinnati, whatever. That's not the problem. But how do you think Ohio State right now is competing on the recruiting circuit against Wisconsin, Michigan State, Michigan, Indiana, Purdue, these other teams in the Big Ten that are the teams that they have to compete with on the recruiting trail if they're going to compete in the Big Ten? And again, I don't know 
Certainly here, we are not holding Ohio State to the standard of they need to be a Final Four contender every year. But they need to be a contender for the NCAA tournament every year, get there most years, four out of five, and they need to compete in the top half of the Big Ten and on a regular basis compete for a Big Ten championship. In recruiting, how are they doing against those other schools in the conference right now? Not great right now. There hasn't been much um, head-to-head, which maybe is part of the problem. Like They got Caleb Wesson, who is a legacy. His dad went to Ohio State. He grew up 20 minutes from here. They offered him early. He committed early. Braxton Beverly didn't have any Big Ten offers. Um, Dane Goodwin committed as a freshman, another guy who grew up in their backyard. Justin Aarons, I don't believe, had any other Big Ten offers at the time that he committed. Like The most recent example of them going head-to-head against a Big Ten team would be uh, just recently, they were going after Mark Smith, who's a guard from Illinois, who uh, is a former baseball player, and it was sort of late in the process for him, but he's really good. He was Illinois Mr. Basketball, and he, to me, was an example of a guy who they could pitch, like, come in here and run the show, we need you, especially now that we know that they thought that Jaquan Lyon wasn't going to be back next year. Um, there's an opening there for a guy like Mark Smith to come in and really be the guy who, like, steers this thing in the right direction, has the ball in his hands a lot, plays a lot like the way they use D'Angelo Russell, and they didn't get him. He went to Illinois. And that's the home state school. But Illinois is not, like, at the moment, in my mind at least, any more enticing than Ohio State is. It's two programs who are having a hard time getting into the NCAA tournament right now, and Ohio State lost a head-to-head battle for a guy who could have really helped him or helped them. They lost Darius Baisley because they offered him early. He committed early, and then other programs came after him who had more to offer than Ohio State uh, in the Big Ten and otherwise. So at the moment, they're not competing very well at all, I would say, in in recruiting, uh, particularly against the Big Ten schools. Um, They're kind of in this place where they have to, and I don't want to say settle because it's not fair to the players they're recruiting who could eventually end up being, being good players someday, but they're not getting commitments from guys that there was much of a battle to get them. That makes sense. Um, they're sort of taking guys who were kind of no-brainer commits for them or kids who didn't have offers from other big programs who, of course, are going to jump as an offer for Ohio State. Um, so that needs to change. They're not, they're not, it's not a getting five stars. It's, like you said, it's getting, you know, the three top-level three stars and four stars who make Big Ten programs great. And Ohio State, even at the moment, is not even really getting those guys. So when this happened with Jaquan Lyle, and we, we all wrote stuff about it, um, you know, there certainly was some faction of fans that I heard from at least – I'm sure you probably heard from some of them too, that are just done with fad mata, you know, but, but here's, you're not going to fire a coach in May. I've seen that happen with Ohio state football. That's not anybody's plan. When Jim Trestle got fired in May, that was a desperate, rare, terrible situation for Ohio state. They ended up with an interim coach for a year. Just You're not going to get rid of a coach because one guy transfers, no matter what else had transpired before it. That is not a straw that breaks the camel's back kind of thing. So nothing has changed for Thad Mata, really, from where we were before, which is they need a good year on the basketball court for him to keep his job. I think that was true With Jaquan Lyle, I think it's true without Jaquan Lyle. It just probably got a little bit harder. Do you do you agree with that point before I ask you this final question? Uh, I mostly agree with that. I guess let me me ask you a question. I guess first, like, do you think that the threshold for what is a good season has changed now because of the situation the roster's in? Possibly, but I think 
I think they probably needed to make the NCAA tournament anyway, right? Or yeah. or barely miss it with a young team that clearly is like, wow, they are coming. You know, where maybe they start off slow and then by the end of the year, Caleb Wesson and Funderburk and Beverly and and Potter and these guys like look awesome. And so you could have said, wow, they were on the bubble. They didn't get in, but look, it's, it's back. Maybe that, but I, and so maybe now it's like tournament or bust, maybe a slight change. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't, I don't think it's changed completely, but I, I do think it's probably tournament or bust at this point. You just like, it's not a team. I think that, that is built in a way that they're going to look like, you know, a potential sweet 16 team, like a budding sweet 16 team for next season because of what they do this year. Right. Um, so I, I, I think they have to, they have to make a tournament. Okay. So, and, and you would not like, does, would it make any sense to change coaches in May over something like this? No, no. I mean, not, no, like, there's no one out there they could hire unless they wanted to like, do with the interim thing, but then you're just basically throwing a season away. I mean, it would be stupid. It, it makes no sense. Yeah. If you, whoever you want, isn't going to leave his team in May, you're going to turn people off. It would be ridiculous. I mean, it just, fans can be upset. I get it. It's not good. It is not good. There is nothing about this that is good, but like, let's just get rid of that. He's not going anywhere tomorrow. So he's going to coach this season. So we both agree. It's basically tournament or bust or, or it is tournament or bust. If you were Thad Mata, Bill Landis, tell me your plan for this year. How do you get this program back in the right direction, and how do you save your job? I don't. I, it's, I don't know. There's not. I, I can't think of like. Well, do you change your style? Do you change how you relate to players? Do you change your offensive or defensive strategy? Do you? Uh, do you? Uh, uh, I know you wrote a story about them trying to ramp up social media for recruiting reasons. Do you come out with a big media blitz? Do you try? Like, what would you? Or would you just be yourself, be what you've been, and hope that you win twenty three games? Well, I think that's what he's done, kind of, for the last two years, maybe three years, is sort of just try to do do things the way he's always done them, and, and hope that that works. And clearly, it hasn't. Something has to change, and I, I wrote, I did a thing uh, shortly after the season ended, like five changes that, that can fix Ohio State basketball, and all the things you just talked about were all in there. Um, the social media stuff, like putting out a good message for the program, like being relevant on social media, which I know to some people sound stupid in recruiting, it's super important. That's a fact. Ohio State football spends millions of dollars a year on it. They wouldn't do that if it wasn't important. Um, but on the court, it's more interesting and more important. Um they don't play an exciting brand of basketball. They play a slow brand of basketball. Um, they don't shoot a ton of threes. Um, there's nothing particularly exciting about the way they play. Um, and I don't know if like they're just going to turn it into a track meet next year because you can't do that, especially if you only have nine scholarship players and maybe six that you're comfortable with, assuming that they can actually play the, the minutes you need them to play. But I just think they need to open the game up a little more. It, 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 for the last few years, it's been – you know, it's, it's been kind of clogged offensively, a lot of standing still, no ball movement. Uh, the one thing I will say is I thought last year when C.J. Jackson played point guard in place of Jaquan Lyle that the offense flowed better. He was better at keeping it moving. He didn't hold on to the ball very long. He's not a guy who's super concerned with getting his own shot. He just wants the offense to, to, to keep moving, and I think that's why Thad Mata liked him. 
So if you have a guy like that playing point guard and, and it sort of starts from there, then maybe you have a little bit more pace on offense and you're a little more exciting and enticing the players. Uh, on the recruiting trap, but then you're also playing a style of basketball that's more conducive to winning. Uh, defensively, I don't see them changing much. You know, the Thad likes to play man-to-man. They're going to play man-to-man. They have some good length with Katie Bixby up and Derek Thunderberg. I think they could be okay there. I, I think it's changing the offensive style to be a little more open, to play a little more freely. Hopefully your shooters are actually making shots, which is something that's been a problem for them. They've been hot and cold. Cam Williams was great two, two years ago. He was awful shooting the ball last year. Jay Sean Tate didn't shoot the ball well last year. Katie Bates the up wasn't around to shoot the ball last year. C.J. Jackson shot 50% in junior college and shot 30% at Ohio State last year. So, like, guys who are quote-unquote shooters, like, actually need to be shooters. Um, and then something has to change with the way that Thad Mata is connecting with his team. And he said that in the locker room after they lost to Rutgers in the opening, on the opening night of the Big Ten tournament. He said he's got to find a way to connect with this group of guys in a better way and he's done in the last few years, which is like an obvious thing to say, but I thought that was like the most introspective really he's been, I think, over the last couple of years <clears throat> as the team has struggled. It was the most obvious and easy thing to say, but I, I got the sense that he actually meant it. How that manifests itself, I have no idea. We haven't talked to anybody on the team since March, um, so I'm interested to see. Uh, I think the plan is to get them out in front of the media again this summer like they did last year, and I'm curious to know like what things they're implementing and what things he's done specifically in to try to connect with his team in a way that makes sure his message is getting across and that they're playing the way that he wants to play because they have not played that way for two years. You know, the one thing I think that they could have used in all this, and it's it's Thad's program, Thad's responsible. I don't know that the assistants have done him many favors the last couple of years. I feel like he could have used a shot in the arm of a new guy that he didn't have, a, he didn't know. He could have used a Tom Herman. Right, the way that Urban Meyer um, wanted to change. Urban Meyer didn't run an up-tempo offense. He thought, I want to do some of that. I'm going to hire a guy who does that, who I don't have any personal connection with. And we saw what that did for Ohio State football. I don't think, I don't I mean, it's not think. Thad Mata has not done that. Thad Mata has not gone out and hired uh, the rising young star of like, wow, you know, this guy is a, is a guy that everybody sees as a future head coach, but he's only 30 and he is uh, great with relating to the young, this generation of players or he has a super interesting offensive idea about things. I, I think Fad at some point could have used that and I don't think he got that. I don't think, you know, Chris Jen's a good basketball guy. But when he had an opening, he brought Chris Gent back. Greg Paulus, you know, was was not very high on the coaching ladder when he came to Ohio State, and he's just sort of been here. He's been the offensive assistant. He's been the defensive assistant. I don't know exactly what his expertise is. He is younger, but I don't know that Greg Paulus has been a guy who's given this program a shot in the arm. David Dickerson is a, a recycled, fired head coach who was at Maryland for a long time, but you know, I don't know. I, I I think some of these issues could have been helped by another, a, a different hire along the way that would have helped reinvigorate Thad Mata and this program a little bit, and I don't think they did it. So that's, I wanted to add that. I want to ask one last question. We've gone a little long on this, but I feel like it's, for people who can like basketball, a, it's interesting. name real quick? What's that? Like, just, a, just along those lines, can I just throw out a name real quick of a guy who, like, I, I've thought about a little bit this year. In terms of like who maybe would have been a good hire for them, maybe give them a shot in the arm, and it's 
Billy Donlin, who was a head coach at Wright State and like inexplicably lost his job because Wright State thinks it's Duke in 22 and 13 wasn't good enough for them, so he lost his job. Um, and he got hired by Michigan, and he's an assistant coach in Michigan. And I think that there's a lot, there were quite a few stories last year of Billy Donlin, you know, who's a 40 year old guy who has coached in Ohio, is from the Big Ten footprint, and, and did a lot of things to help Michigan sort of reinvigorate his program this year. And it's not to say that he was solely responsible for the year that Michigan had, but I think that kind of new blood helped them. And that was a guy who was like in, in their Ohio State's backyard who maybe Ohio State could have hired, and Michigan got him instead. Yeah. And, and sad moda, and, and you know, I'm not I'm not going around calling for people's jobs, um, but sad has never let anybody go from his staff. They don't, people only leave when they get a different job. You know, uh, Urban Meyer had problems on the offensive side of the ball, and they have two new offensive coaches this year, um, and Tim Beck and Ed Warner, who were the chief issues, are gone. And I, I think Thad probably along the way could have used that. Could have used, and that's a very common thing. When a guy's job is in jeopardy, it's very common for assistants to get fired first. For there to be like a, hey, you've got to change your staff, or we're going to change you. And maybe there's a. I'm not saying that that has happened, but a lot of guys with this particular instance. But then you'll hear stories of, well, guys are loyal to their assistants, and they're not going to do that, and they'd rather go down with the ship or whatever. I, I think maybe there would have been a, a moment where that would have helped this program. And I think, again, probably it's probably too late for that. I don't think that if there's a, if they have a, a down year that, hey, change your assistance and come back and you can miss three straight tournaments and it'll be okay if you change your assistance. I, don't, I think that ship has sailed a little bit. So last thing. Yeah, I agree. Are they going to add a player? Are they, they have nine scholarship players right now. Will they add a scholarship player before the season starts? I think they will. I'm not 100% sure who it's going to be. I think one name that, that could make sense and possibly happen is uh, James Daniel, who's a transfer guard from Howard, uh, who actually led the nation in scoring two years ago uh, when he was a, a guard at Howard. He got hurt last year, and I think he only played in like five or six games. Two years ago, he scored, I think it was 28 points per game. And he just visited Ohio State. Um, he's immediately eligible. He'll be a senior next year. Um that would sort of, in my mind, be like best-case scenario because I don't think there's anyone else of the known names right now that they're still chasing who's going to come to Ohio State as it's currently situated. Guys like MJ Walker, who's a five-star in the 2017 class, or Cam Johnson, who is a transfer from Pitt, who has two years of eligibility left and is an excellent shooter. He's probably going to go to Kentucky. But James Daniel is a guy who could help Ohio State because he could provide guard depth. He could provide a scoring punch. Um he could provide some leadership as a, as a guy who's been around the block as a senior to a team that is, again, late on seniors. Um, so he would be my best-case scenario right now for them. Outside of him, I don't know who would be, but I would not be surprised at all to see them add just another body because they need it. I will say, we learned this a little bit. They had Anthony Lee come from Temple as a grad transfer a couple of years ago, and we all wrote a lot of uh, interesting stories about how much he was going to help, but he didn't really do anything. So um, yeah. if you are in a position where you need a grad transfer to come in and save you, you are not in a good position. Um, uh, all right. That's going to do it for this Buckeye Talk. We will also still have a football Buckeye Talk this week. That will be up uh, on Wednesday as usual. This is a bonus basketball basketball Buckeye Talk, so we will be back to talk Ohio State football with uh, me, with Bill, with Ari Wasserman uh, on Wednesday. Um, but for now, uh, we hope that sort of covered everything you wanted to know about Ohio State basketball. You can always 
Send us questions on Twitter at BillLandis25 or at DougLayMaurice. You can always go to cleveland.com slash OSU and comment on our stories. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes. Look for Buckeye Talk. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on SoundCloud. And, of course, you can find us at cleveland.com. So uh, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.